This is the story about the birth of Jesus, the way it was told to Luke. It says, the time came for Mary to give birth to her first baby, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. And the shepherds went to find the Savior. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word that they had been told about the child, and everyone who heard it was amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for everything they'd heard and seen, just the way it had been told to them, the word of God. And that's what happened. It was on a Friday, actually. And then all of a sudden, it was the next Tuesday afternoon. And they were back at the sheep shearing business, arguing about the price of lamb's wool and who had to go get the wine this time. All of that that happened the previous weekend probably started to feel like a dream, like, well, how, how Christmas will feel in the middle of January. What really happened there? But for Mary, who treasured up all the things that happened and pondered them in her heart, it stayed alive. And I wonder how often she remembered, don't be afraid. This is good news. It's great joy for all the people. Today, a Savior has been born. And as she chewed on it, it brought her joy. Matt Stefan started our Advent season Christmas a couple weeks ago, powerfully setting the foundation of what the incarnation means, the, the coming to earth, the, the taking on skin miracle of Christmas is the promise that God is with us no matter what. That not only is God present to us in the best and worst of times, but that Jesus is God's ever-present love that will never leave. And then, this first week of December, Sam absolutely nailed the concept of hope in the season of Advent. Remember that? Light comes into the darkness and brings vision. And that vision leads us to hope, which in turn we share with others to offer them the reflected light of Jesus. What a powerful beginning. The reason I'm connecting the idea of joy to the wonder of Christmas this year is that joy has the power to change lives. C.S. Lewis wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. Music and laughter are the languages of the realm. But he came to that from being a committed atheist, even at Oxford. He kept being surprised by these moments of joy. He almost felt wounded by these little stabs of joy because it spoiled his belief that life and meaning stopped at death's door. These tiny tastes of joy that we get that never seem to last they make us realize that something is missing here on earth and they point toward something and somewhere else. I was at uh, 
Starbucks the other day, and, and one of the baristas is a co-conspirator in this kingdom of joy. She'd written up on the board, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's Lewis again. Reluctantly, Lewis becomes a Christian. He comes to believe that there really is a God who is good, that joy is a gift from God intended to bring his children home, to show them what home tastes like, pointing to another world. Lewis wrote a spiritual autobiography and called it Surprised by Joy. And his journey to find joy resonates with me. I want to find that joy that lasts. Not that comes and goes here and gone, never there when I really need it. I want joy that endures. And that's the message of Christmas. Tidings of comfort and joy. But if what if that's not the way you feel this morning? Your life's not ruined, but it, it, it feels deadly normal. What if the shepherd's words just feel like words? It says, Mary pondered them. She chewed on them in her heart over and over and over through good times and hard, through terrible days and delight. Mary watches joy grow up right in front of her in the life of this son that, that keeps growing. Yesterday, they were babies, right? Even worse, tomorrow, they'll be in college or in Jesus' case, a carpenter's apprentice. Each step of the way, Mary saw joy breaking out right in front of her. But it's not until the end of her son's life that she finds out about the source of that joy. Some joy is a gift that we only discover at the end. John chapter 16 is near the end of Jesus' life. He's talking to his disciples, including, I'm sure, his mom. And it says, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you won't see me, and then a little later you'll see me again. Some of the disciples said to each other, What does he mean in a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. And Jesus knew that, so he said, I'm telling you plainly, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You'll grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has great pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a baby has been born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I'll see you again, and you'll rejoice. You'll be filled with joy. And on that day, nobody will take anyone's joy away. In just a little while, Jesus says, you won't need to ask me anything more. I'll come back to the idea of what we ask about those questions, because they never really go away. But at the end of his life, Jesus comes back to this imagery of childbirth. And I think it's probably the story of his birth. Probably because he's only heard the story about a million times. The way you've told your kids about a million times what it was like, you'd say, there were these there were angels, you see, and 
And then some of the shepherds showed up at the edge of the stable, and, and then foreigners from another country came, and they brought us gifts. And then right after that, somebody told us we had to run away. And we spent a couple of years while you were a baby in Egypt. Well, in, in our family. Our, our last baby got married. And uh, like the week afterwards, she moved out to grad school in Berkeley. And she never came back. It's just such a delight to be together again here with her. Maggie's bed had been working in Washington, D.C., about a 1,000 miles away from us. She is a fairly strong-willed young woman. I don't know where that comes from. And her mom was trying to serve her and make the wedding just perfect. You can't believe this, but things did not go exactly according to plan. There were actually a couple of fairly tense moments in the weeks and months that led up to this wedding. There may even have been some tears involved. I don't understand all that. But on the night of the rehearsal, as they sat together at the rehearsal dinner, Maggie turned to her mom and said, Mom, I know it's been tough. Translation, Mom, I know I've been tough. But mom, you know what I think? I think this is like when you have a baby and there's all this pain, but as soon as you have the baby, everybody is okay. You forget the pain. Don't you think the way that that's the way this wedding's going to be, mom? And mom looked at her baby and said, well, honey, I think the joy is stronger than the pain. And yes, it's sure worth it. Jesus is born in pain in order to bring joy. But then Jesus gets killed, and the pain is overwhelming. They can't see Jesus anymore because he's dead. But somehow it's not the end. Joy comes back when he's risen, and that joy is overwhelming. And then before he leaves again, they don't see him, but somehow the joy stays. Joy is the mark of the early followers of Jesus. Before it was even called a church, all these people that trusted in Jesus were marked by joy. And their lives were really hard. They didn't have electric cars or refrigerators, no penicillin, no sense of civil rights. They'd be beaten, and even in the beatings, it says, they rejoiced, they found joy. What kind of people does that? Does that? These early believers were imprisoned unjustly. They were clapped in chains and put in dungeons, but in the jail they'd sing songs until late at night because it was the only way they knew how to express the joy that was in their hearts even in hard times. Many of these early followers of Jesus were incredibly poor, not all of them, but many with no margin, and yet they were mocked by society. The Apostle Paul says about them, out of their extreme poverty, and their joy came abundant, generous giving. They gave their money away like crazy people. Jesus was exactly right. He said nothing would take their joy away. And nothing took their joy away because they were children of the resurrection. Brought back from the dead, just like you, just like me. So my question for us this Christmas is, is your joy in danger of being stolen? Would other people who look at you say that you experience frequent bouts of joy 
is something squeezing joy out of this waiting for Christmas season for you. The Apostle Paul doesn't make joy an observation. He makes it a commandment. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice, be filled with joy. He believed that only God can provide a, a persistent, pervasive sense of well-being for all of creation. Nothing else, nobody else can do that. That's why the only joy that lasts, the deep joy that matters, is what's called joy in the Lord. That's what Nehemiah describes. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord does not mean the happiness I feel at church or when I'm reading the Bible or singing a hymn or something like that. Biblical joy is rooted in knowing that I and all of creation are in the hands of an immensely good and a supremely competent God who loves me to the fullest. That's the joy of the Lord. Nothing else is going to last. Jesus is trying to tell that in John 16. It's like when somebody has a baby. There is fullness of pain, but the joy makes it worth it. And Jesus ends with a promise about joy so powerful, it's hard to believe. I, I never noticed this part before. The disciples are always pestering Jesus with questions, right? All through the Gospels, it's, hey, Jesus, can I sit at your right hand? Hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive that guy? Hey, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Hey, Jesus, how come we couldn't get rid of that demon? Hey, Jesus, what does this parable mean? Hey, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and blast them? Hey, Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? Hey, Jesus, which one of us is greatest? Hey, Jesus, what do you mean you'll be back in a little while? You ever notice all those questions all the time? Hey, Jesus, how many of you have ever had that experience with a two-year-old? One more question will literally drive you over the edge. Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, hey, Grandma, hey, Jesus. I think Jesus ever got tired of the questions. But maybe underneath all those little questions, there's really only one question everybody has, and that's the question, why? People often say to me, you know, John, when I die and see God, I'm going to ask him, and then the why question. Why did this little six-year-old boy have a brain tumor? Why is there another shooting? Why is there a disaster in the Philippines when they're already underwater? Jesus, why did my kid run away? Jesus, why has my marriage gone cold? Jesus, why does love fall apart? Hey, Jesus, how come I... I want to feel better, but I have this crippling depression. I can't make it go away no matter what. Those are the why questions of life. It is interesting that people rarely ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, why'd you create this incredible sunset that I get to share with the people I like? Hey, Jesus, did you see that little baby touch her mom's cheeks? When we have why questions, Jesus says, let me answer in the only way that you'll understand right now. You would not tell a two-year-old the way that nuclear fusion works, even if you understood. Jesus says, for a little while, you won't see me and things won't look right. 
You'll see terrible things in this world, cancer and hunger, injustice, war, hatred, bodies crippled by stuff that we should have been able to cure a long time ago, and betrayal and abuse and violation. You'll see all that. And then afterwards, in a little while, it'll seem a long time to you, but in the scale of eternity, in a little while, in a very little while, the world will be reborn. One reason the church prepares for and celebrates Christmas is to keep reminding each other that Jesus comes back. The Christmas king says, you'll see me again and all will be well. The birth pains of labor will be forgotten and joy will win the day on that day. Not today, not tomorrow, maybe, but on that day, no more questions. What a good day, Christmas joy, because of resurrection renewal. There was a theologian named Rudolf Bultmann. He said, it is the nature of joy that all questions fade and grow silent, and no more needs to be explained. Then, on that day, we'll see the whole goodness of God. Then this world will be reborn and sin and guilt and pain, suffering and death will be defeated. Then there will be no unanswered questions. So right now, if you're tempted to get impatient, if you wonder when this will happen, I'm going to use the words of Jesus in a little while, in just a little while, in only a very, very, very little while. So this Advent, as we all wait and wait and get impatient. If you wonder when this will ever happen, I'll tell you in the words of Jesus, in a little while, in a very, very little while, he'll be back. Jesus answers questions by coming in a feeding trough, so joy is in the unexpected places. He shows how much he loves by dying so joy can come even out of death. Jesus gives a sign of hope by coming back and in a little while. That's why Christmas is marked with joy down in its DNA. That's Christmas. Shepherds and wise men, boys and girls, men and women in the choirs here and in the choirs of heaven all bring that same message. Don't be afraid. Fear isn't the buzz killer. Fear is the joy killer. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. If this is not good news, you're in the wrong place. I bring you good news of great joy. To a select few? No. To all the people, everyone receives the possibility of this joy. Today, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. And in just a little while. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that your clock does not work the same way mine does. In my doubt and anger and fear and impatience, I can squeeze out the joy that you offer your children. I pray for your friends here. I ask you to give them just a twins of joy before they leave the building. I ask you to fill them with joy this Advent as we wait. And I ask you 
between now and that little while that your joy would cast out our fear and enter in. Because when our joy is with you, our joy will be complete. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we give you thanks with joy. And all God's children said, Amen.